Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, here we are to surrender all to you. Our lives, our hearts, our spirits, our souls, our mind, our bodies. All we are, all we have, all we ever hope to be, we give to you, Lord Jesus. We ask that every resource that will help us to finish this unfinished task, you release so that we can move in and finish the work in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to share with you our strategy as CDM for finishing the task of world evangelism. When I became born again, one of the things which touched me was the clear command of Jesus. He said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Then shall the end come. He said in Mark 13, 10, the gospel must first be preached among all nations. He clearly said in Mark 16, 15 and 16, He said, Go, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he that does not believe shall be condemned. He said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the close of the age. He said in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, as a young Christian, when I read that through, it was very clear to me that there are only two types of Christians. The disobedient Christian who says, 
I have heard Jesus, but I won't go. I'm not going to do anything about this thing. All my life, I want to live for myself. You are my savior. You have saved me already. I'm stuck with you. I'm going to heaven. I won't work for you, but I'll go to heaven. You came to die for me. Let's go. And the obedient Christian who says, Lord, here I am. I lay my life before you. Please, help me to become a fisher of men and women. So, those days, before you get to the university, we had two years. We call it the sixth form. So, I joined the Methodist uh, preaching group. We started going to the secondary schools to preach. And I, I was the house prefect of my house, Locker Schweizer. So, whenever it was time to preach, well, I gave my, my, my little sermon to the whole school. But when I got to the university, within one year, I was made president of the soul winners. And they were the university Christian fellowship arm for the campus. So I told myself that nobody will come to the University of Ghana, Lagos, and live without my preaching to you about Jesus. So, those days, we mobilized a team who were going two by two to every student's room any day. And if we didn't find you, we wrote down your name and came back for you. At lectures, when the lecturer is not in, I will get up and talk. Then, in the halls, Commonwealth Hall, Legon Hall, Kwafo Hall, Mensa Saba, John Broadcast, Saturday Jesus Raps, you name them. In fact, there was a time somebody said, Hey, are you working with JFK? He will convert you. <laughs> because anybody who got close to me, I wanted to preach. But we found out that after preaching to the students, they will accept Christ. And then you are so happy, you write the name down. Next week you go to the same hall, you meet that student with a girl in the room. Our time, they used to call it a nahuru. It means you push out the people in your, your room so that you can sleep with a girl in the room. And some were bold to sleep with the girl while the other roommates were there. And these are people that have led to Jesus. My mouth caught fire. I knew it was not working. So, we tried to get materials from the Campus Crusade people to try and help the new converts. And those we asked to go back to their churches, they were worse. So, we started a discipleship group. Six weeks at the weekend, all the souls we want, we will send them there and teach them. We started teaching them how to be born again, 
assurance of salvation, assurance of answered prayer, Holy Spirit baptism. And it was working. We saw that after six weeks, some of them stood and didn't go back. Then came the navigators to Legon campus. That was the year they came to Ghana. And the missionary didn't know a word of tree or ebe. So they came to the University Christian Fellowship and said, Oh, please, if you have any students, you can give us so that we can disciple them for one year. And since I was in charge of soul winners, the University Christian Fellowship donated me as one of the people who should be take the one year training. What? The man, his name is Dave Hall and the wife, Sherry. First day, they gave us a pack of 60 Bible verses. We were to memorize all 60 within one year. I said, today is today. Then they started us every week one topic. Every week one topic on discipleship. And as they went, my mind started clearing. And I said, oh, is this it? By the end of the one year, I had memorized 60 Bible verses, word perfect. That's how we call it. Because it means you recite it and you don't miss one word. And something began to happen. When I get up to talk, (laughs) the Bible verses come and beg me to use them. Long story short, after university, I was the Volta Regional Pastor for our church at that time for 12 years. And I moved from Pasa to Aplau. And I speak every fluently, my native tongue. And I read the every Bible. So those verses I memorized I just translate them into every pa, pa, pa. and come and see me. We had over seventy seven crusades in the Volta region. So gra 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 I mean because I was loaded with Bible verses, as for words to tell people, it wasn't my problem. Then I went back to the Bible. I went back to the Bible to find out how Jesus ministered. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, the Bible says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's all read it together. Go. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Are you searching for wisdom? 
Are you searching for knowledge? It is hidden in Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians 1.24 But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is in vain that you think you can be wiser than Jesus. Many of us spend 30, 40, 50, 60 years on this life wasting our time. Because wisdom is with Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, from verse 39 to 42, Jesus was trying to explain to people that, look, do you, do you think Solomon is wise? You have to understand that a greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, 39 to 42. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So, this evening, I want to tell you ten factors that affect this work of world evangelism. Whenever you are somewhere and you want to get to another place, you need a plan. You need a strategy. A strategy is from Greek strategos. It means plan of war. You need a plan of war to do something you want to achieve. Why is it that for 2,000 years Jesus gave us clear command to the church that we should evangelize this world and make disciples and until now the work has not been finished. We need to sit down and think through it. And my analysis has been very easy. I have gone to the Bible to ask myself, what are the most important factors which can help us to finish this work? Number one is the Holy Spirit.
We need the Holy Spirit because He is in charge of conviction of sin. John chapter 16 all the way from verse 8 to 11 Jesus explains that when the Holy Spirit comes He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. John 16 verse 8 And when He has come he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, conviction means something pierces your heart to tell you that what you are doing is wrong. And you agree. Then it's conviction. You see, inside you is somebody who doesn't see anything wrong with chasing girls. You don't see anything wrong with singing profane songs. You don't see anything wrong with uh, pride. You don't see anything wrong with worldliness. But the Holy Spirit is able to press and pierce your heart to tell you that, look, look this thing is wrong. Then you say, yes sir. Yes sir. The day you say yes sir, we call it conviction. Because the Holy Spirit has taken you to court and has pressed charges against you. And you have seen that you are guilty. Now, this is the reason why a lot of unbelievers, they don't mind us when you are preaching to them. Because they are not convicted. The moment they are convicted, they start weeping. They start searching for a savior. And the Spirit of God is in charge of conviction. Not only that. We need the Holy Spirit because He sends people our way to preach to. Clear example. Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Holy Spirit said, go near this chariot and join it. Acts chapter 10. Verse 19 and 20. The Holy Spirit told Peter, Three men are searching for you. Rise up. Go with them. Don't doubt anything. I have sent them. So the Holy Spirit sends people our way. He convicts them. And He empowers you, the preacher, with word of knowledge, with word of wisdom, gifts of healing, working of miracles, to demonstrate that God is with you. That's Luke 24, 49. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So, that is number one. And I can't finish the number one except I mention the issue of, you see, changing people to become like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is purely a matter of the Holy Spirit at work. Some of my disciples, it's only prayer. Because you talk, 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 they don't change. You shoot guns in the air, they are just like that. But when the Spirit starts work molding them, transforming them, changing them, you are happy. 
Because you can see that something is happening. Now, many of us play down the work of the Holy Spirit in disciple making. But I can assure you that he is the most powerful person to transform people into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. You need the Spirit of God in disciple making. If ever we wish to finish this work, we will need the Holy Spirit. He knows the fields. Eh? Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit said no. He wanted to go to Bithynia and Phrygia. The Holy Spirit said no. Then in the night, he had a dream. A man of Macedonia said, come over to Macedonia and help us. We need the Holy Spirit. Even choosing the workers, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While the church in Antioch prayed and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. In the verse 4, we are told, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. I want to put it to you that our lives must be arranged such that the Holy Spirit can use our lives. Are you with me? Because, you know, his spirit, he used the hair of Samson. Samson's hair. That's where the anointing was. And the day he was shaved, Sakura, the power left. Jesus, three times, we are told in the Bible that Jesus spat and used it to heal. In John chapter 9, he spat, made clay, pasted the eyes of the man born blind, said, go and wash in Siloam. And he went and washed and came back seeing. Your spittle can be used by the Holy Spirit to do a miracle. You are just spitting, but it's a miracle spitting. You see, 2 Peter 2.14 says, some people, their eyes are full of adultery. Because some people, when they look at you, their eyes tell you, come and sleep with me. You see? But it means that your eyes can be so full of the Holy Spirit that sometimes you look at people and they start weeping. You see? The same eyes which are used by the devil for adultery can be used by the Holy Spirit for conviction. So, Paul is very clear in Ephesians 4.30. He says, don't make the Holy Spirit sad in whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He says, don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. We need to organize our lives so that the type of dress you put on can put off the Holy Spirit the whole day. Yes. I shared it with you. One of our sisters in church came to church and, and, and shared this testimony. She said that she likes dressing. So, 
But she liked asking the Holy Spirit, which dress should I put on? So the first Sunday, Holy Spirit said, this dress. So she wore it to church. The second Sunday, she said, Holy Spirit, which dress should I wear? And the Spirit said, the same dress. So she wore it. Third Sunday, she said, Holy Spirit, which dress should I wear? And the Holy Spirit said, the same dress. And she wore it. Fourth Sunday, she said, Holy Spirit, which dress should I wear? And the Holy Spirit said, the same dress. And she said, no, 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 no. Today I won't wear that. And, and she went and chose one of her choice dresses put on. She said when she went to church, she just heard and stitches of the dress started coming apart. And she rushed into the washroom and the dresses and the Holy Spirit said that. There is a new woman who has come to your church. She has only one dress. And she's looking around thinking everybody's changing. I am the only person. And she wants to leave. This is why I told you wear the same dress. So that when she sees you in the same dress four times like herself, she will be encouraged to stay. You see, these are lives Yielded to the Spirit of God. Many of us just do what we like. But you claim to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And whenever there's Holy Spirit baptism, you, you are like, oh, more. More of what? He is a person. If you want to walk with Him, you have to learn. How the, there is a level of anointing of the Holy Spirit which you can never carry until you die because of your lifestyle. The type of songs you sing, the way you dance, the way you dress, the, you, the type of friends you have, the kinds of books you read, you see that He stands aside and looks at you. Because, because your life cannot carry that type of oil. Are you with me? Okay. So that's the first major factor. If we want to finish the task of world evangelism, we need a strong fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Bible. The Bible. Look, this Bible you see is a supernatural instrument. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching truth doctrine, for rebuking error. For correcting you and training the man of God in righteousness. So that this man of God will be perfect, thoroughly finished, completely equipped for every good work. 
Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see, it's a Greek word, Theonestos. Theos means God. Pneuma means to breathe. Theonestos is a Greek word which means God breathed. This Bible you are carrying is God breathed. Are you with me? And it is yes. profitable for doctrine, yes. for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. So that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. You don't need six and seven books of Moses. You don't need the secret of Psalms. You don't need any other book to be a complete, mature Christian. And your disciple does not need any other book. Are you with me? The reason we say the Mormons are wrong, Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong, and all these cults and deviations are wrong, is because they have other books which interpret the Bible for them in a way that makes the Bible smaller than their book. Any book you put above the Bible becomes an idol. You, you, are, you are a heretic. Yes, you are deviating. You don't need any other book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching doctrine, for rebuking error, for correcting you when you are wrong, and for training in righteousness that the man of God will be complete, perfectly equipped for every good work. Many of us downplay the Bible because of the big, big chemistry books and physics books and biology books and, and computer books. Some, some of the computer books are even called computer Bible. You know, you are dragging some books around. So when you come out, you feel so big because you think you know. Look, truth is grounded on the scripture. The God who created the laws of physics the laws of chemistry, and, and the laws of biology. That God is the God of the Bible. And Paul says in Galatians 1, 7-9, that you people, you have taken another gospel. If anybody preaches any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There is a standing curse on people who preach any other thing apart from the scripture. And in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, that's the, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. They seal the words of prophecy, not only in the book of Revelation, but in the whole Bible. That if anyone tampers with the things in the scripture, read it for us. Revelations 22, verse 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part 
from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Praise the Lord. The scripture is very clear. And this is in the Old Testament too. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, don't add to the words of God. Don't add anything to them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. He says, every word of God is pure, is flawless. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. He will put you to shame just now. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. These days, because of the many books around, people treat the Bible as if it were another book. If you are making disciples and you don't teach your disciple that the Bible is ultimate, you have already destroyed the person. Are you with me? You need to have an attitude towards the Bible that you can pass on to your disciple that, look, even me, when I make mistakes, this book corrects me. Therefore, calling somebody Papa, A, man of God, Bishop, Pope, all those names don't mean anything if they don't hold the Bible to be higher. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, Jesus said, don't think I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, one tittle can pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Therefore, if you don't memorize the Bible, you can't tell your disciple to memorize the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, you can't tell your disciple to read the Bible. If you don't have your daily quiet time, you can't tell your disciple to have a daily quiet time. And you build a Kwasoko disciple because the, the person is not strengthened with might from the inner man. These words, I particularly like Psalm 119, verse 97 to 100. He says that your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, than the old people, than all my teachers. That's what the Bible does for you. Psalm 119, verse 97 to 100. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. You see, your enemies, the commandments of God make you wiser than your enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. How many people want to know more than your teacher? I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients because yes. I keep your precepts. You know, I normally tease my wife. My wife's grandmother stayed with us for 20 years. And she was very much older. She died, you know, over 100 years. 
But one day I asked her, Mommy, were you there when Noah's flood came? And she said, No. So all your life, have you ever seen the whole world flooded? She said, No. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? Were you there when the fire fell? She said, No. The Bible says there is no old person, if you read your Bible, that you are not wiser than. Because there are many things in the Bible that old person never saw. You Africans, you pour libation to your ancestors. There is an ancestor older than your ancestor. And his, his story is in the Bible. So, Sankofa, Sankofa means go back to the Bible. chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 the Bible says speaking the truth in love you may grow up together into the head who is Christ with every part supplying the joint you build yourselves up within the local church yes Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But, seeking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, you need to believe me. The local church has people who will annoy you and test to see whether you have overcome anger. Has it ever happened to you? You had your quiet time and you felt that you are the most patient person in the world. And then you memorize the Bible verse and you speak in tongues. I claim patience. I claim in the name of Jesus. Character is not built in solitude. Character is built among people. So you need the give and take of the local church to love people to be patient with people, to see joy, and to be challenged by others who have overcome the same temptation you are dealing with. You see, your boss at work is chasing you, and you show there your wedding ring that I'm married, and he says, I don't care. I don't care. My wife went to Cape Coast University. She was nine months pregnant, but people were chasing her. 
So you need somebody who comes to say, praise the Lord. In fact, oh, every day my boss at work used to be harassing me with sexual things. And then he will take me to lunch. He will open car doors for me. When he sees me, he tells me, hey, you are looking dashing. Hey, this is your dress. My husband doesn't use my dress at home. And, and then he asked me out and wanted to sleep with me. And I told him that this is the last time. And when I got back, I went and reported him to the manager. And manager called. And he was trying to deny. I said, I said what, what, what are you saying? You know, that testimony heals you. Because you are going through the same thing at work. And it looks like nobody understands you. You don't know what to do. But a sister in the church has overcome that uh, situation. And is just testifying. And you are healed. Iron sharpens iron. That's Proverbs 27, 17. The local church fellowship has other children of God. If you can't love people in church, who can you love? The devil? So the local church is a refining instrument. This is why the Hebrews 10 24, 25 says, Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Meet together often, as you see the coming of the Lord drawing close. But, that sends me to number four. The f- and, okay, before I finish with the church, you know, before we built this building, the plan from the architects was finished before we put one block down. When you want to start a factory, you need to know what the factory will produce. Many of our local churches don't know why they exist. So this Sunday, they preach about the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, tithes. The next Sunday, uh, is marriage. Then the next Sunday is children's week. Then the next Sunday. So by you have been in church for 10 years but you don't know anything. If, if I call you now and say give me 10 verses after being in church for 10 years, you see that you don't have 10 verses. Remember that. Because you have been going to church but the focus of the church is so scattered that we, we never graduate. We don't really know why we are there. When I meet these university students, I ask them, what course are you doing? Then they will tell you education. Then this one will tell you computer science. Why? You go to the university with a focus. Why do you go to church with no focus? Anyway, let me talk about factor Number four, that is the disciple maker. The disciple maker is critical. 
in making disciples. It takes somebody who has been discipled to disciple others. I have told this story many times, but I'm never tired of it. When my wife was pregnant and was in school, the church gave me a new car. I didn't know how to drive. And there was a man in our church. He said, oh, driving is easy. Me, I'm a fitter son. My father is a mechanic. Nobody taught me how to drive. You just, you just sit. You, you see, you sit in the driver's seat like this. And then, you see, you just spark. You see, when you spark, then you hold the steer. Then as the car is moving, then you will be checking it. That's all. Driving is not difficult. Me, I learned driving on my own. So that day, I came to Tema, our headquarters. And uh, our head pastor sent me to go and give communion in Nungua, the church there. So after the church service and communion, we got out. And I told the church driver to give me the key to the jeep, the church jeep. And he gave it to me because he too was very innocent and obedient. So, I opened the, the car and I sat in the seat and I put in the key the way I was told and I sparked. Unfortunately for me, the jeep was on first gear. Now, those of you who know how to drive, only you can understand. Because it's a jeep. And first gear moves and climbs the highest mountain. It's the strongest gear of the car. So, the jeep just leapt into the air and started speeding. Unfortunately, in my panic, I started pressing the accelerator. And the driver started shouting, Brake, brake, brake. I didn't know where the brake was. You laugh now, but that day, I, I could see this group of Nungua women. They were gathered around their food and they were eating in a circle. And the jeep was going to kill all of them. And the more they shouted, Brake, the more I accelerated because. I, I was panicking and I, I, I didn't know what to do. God, who always takes us out of temptation, there was a pile of blocks just before the women. And they did when they did I was still pressing accelerator. The women got up and scattered. I said, oh, you people, you are joking. If they, they would have all gone. They would have gone to glory. So when, when the church driver came and met me, 
His first question was, who taught you to drive? How to drive? Because everybody who has been trained in a driving school, you know that the first thing to do when you enter, you sit on the driver's seat, adjust the seat, hold the steering wheel, either 10 to 2 or quarter to 3. You know? Then, the driving mirror. Then, you check the, the gear to see whether it's neutral. And then, you adjust the seat so everything will be correct before you spark. Nobody just enters a car and sparks. Many of you, you are asking yourself why my disciples don't stand. It's because you have never been discipled. And you are not prepared to learn how to do it better too. You see, when it's like that, you say you are making disciples, but they all scatter from you. They scatter because you, you don't know how to do it. Nobody did it for you. And because they didn't train you, 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 you only accelerate. So, you need a disciple maker. He is critical. You know, Colossians 1.28, Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That is a disciple maker for you. The disciple maker is the person who, Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children in whom I travail, Till Christ is formed in you. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven and eight. Probably we will read that one. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven and eight. But we were gentle among you. Yes. Just as a nursing mother. Nursing mother. Cherishes her own children. Yes. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So, the disciple maker nurses you like a mother, cherishes you, and disciplines you like a father. Do, if, if you are a human being, and your father and mother leave you in the bush with monkeys for 20 years, when you come back, you, you are a human being. People see you as human, but you are really a monkey. You see? You are a wild animal. You don't know how to piss. You don't know how to say thank you. You don't know how to say good morning. You don't know how to say please. Because you, you are untamed, uncouth, and untrained. This is how some of people in the church are. Because nobody discipled you. When you are behaving, you are a wild animal. You see? Like somebody from the bush. Because children of God don't behave like that. But when you have a disciple who takes time to disciple you till Christ is formed in you, you, you wake up suddenly and say, no, no, no. You don't do it that way. Are you with me? 
So Paul could say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We need a senior model, an example. No. With all apologies to our ladies, sometimes I ask myself that, sister, when you dress this way, would you like all Christian sisters to dress like you? The way you are dressed, would you like it? Because you are a model. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, be an example to the believers. So it means, when you are a disciple maker, a certain standard of life is expected of you, so that people can copy you, people can imitate you. So the place of the disciple maker is critical. If there is no, you know, polished disciple maker, you see that the people around him too are like that. Because they soon start copying you. Are you with me? Now, let me mention some three, some of the other factors quickly. One of them, or the next one, is the fivefold ministry. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. I know that some of you are tired. My wife used to tell me those days that <laughs> she's tired. Some, some verses, I use them over and over and over. Tawam has told me that some Bible verses, he doesn't need to learn them. Because when he's around me, I use them so many times that he already knows them. And I say it's true. Even though you are tired of Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. <laughs> Please, let me summon it to court again. Hmm. Yes, let's read Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Yes. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist is not to do the work of the ministry. He is to equip, to train, to build up the church members. Now, the, we have ten church to be a few pastors who display and like a, a football field where 22 tired footballers are chasing one football and 22,000 spectators are sitting down in the pew in need of exercise criticizing the 22. That's how church has become. You go to church, you sit and the pastor is doing everything. That's not true. The church is supposed to be like half time. When the players come and the coach meets them and says, Hey, look, center forward, I want to change you. You miss you could have scored that goal. I'm changing you. You go to number five. Hey, please, you 
Number five, come to number one. Hey, half back, I'm changing you. That goal which was scored should not have been scored. Please, get to the um, full back. Hey, you. Church is not entertainment. Church is never entertainment. The, in church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers meet you and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Anytime you go to church and you are not growing, you are wasting your time. Because heaven calculated that by now you should have been six feet tall. And here you are, you are still two and a half feet. Yes, you should be mature by now, but you are in pampas. Spiritual pampas. And with a big spiritual feeding bottle. Yes. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Correct. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All I want you to notice is Till we all come to the end, stature of the fullness of Christ. You have no right to think a pastor should be holier and more Christ-like than you. Why do you think that? The same blood which bought the pastor bought you. What right have you to think that the pastor and the pastor's wife, they should be holier than you? What do you mean? Is it another blood which bought you? What do you mean? What do you mean? What, what's your understanding? What makes you think the pastor should work for God more than you? Which blood bought you? Which blood bought the pastor? What right have you to think like that? You are wrong. Nobody in the church should ever think that the pastor, the elder, should work for God more than you. Because you have the same Holy Spirit they have. You were bought with the same blood they were bought. You are in the same image of God that they are in. You have no right to think so. Till we all, the fullness of Christ is expected of all of us. And some of you, worse, you use the pastor's weakness as your standard for holiness. So even pastor is doing this. Even past, that's the pastor's weakness, and that is your holiness standard. Oh, don't you see pastor's wife too is doing it? So what? Is pastor's wife Jesus? You have to come to the fullness of Christ, not the fullness of the pastor's wife. And some of you hide behind Roman Catholic Church, Presbyterian Church, Methodist Church. As for me, I am a Go, let's go there. We are all going. If Methodists will judge you, let's go. We are going. If Roman Catholic will judge you on that day, I will be there to see it. Let's go. You see? So, what do for me? I'm a Presbyterian. We Presbyterian, you Presbyterian, so what? Let's go. When we stand before the King of Kings, you talk about Presbyterian Church. Talk about Methodists that day. Talk about Lighthouse. That day, when we stand before the King of Kings, bring your church matter. When people from all over the world who have been reading the same Bible with you, when they stand, you will see. 
No, I, I always joke about it. When I was in elementary school, I was always first or second. First, second. My whole family, my sister is here, they trusted me. Then I went to secondary school, Bishop Herman. First then, I was number 40. I'm glad you are laughing. When this report came, everybody laughed. Say, oh! The local champion is now 40th. And the class was 105. And in Latin, I was number 100. So I said, oh, I'm beating five people. When I came to school, they said the other five were sick. Some didn't take take the exam. So I was successfully the last in Latin. Then, I, I, before we left Form 1, I think I even went further. I got 43rd. You see, many of you in your local church and your local fellowship, you are the champion. When you pass by, people say, Papa. <laughs> say, yeah, because, you know, bishop, apostle. <laughs> because when, when they see you, they, they know that, yes, they have, they have met somebody. Let's go. Come, let's go. That day, when people from China, people from India, people from Pakistan, when Christians from Iran, when Nigerian Christians, when the whole world gathers, you will see your, your place in, in, you will see your nakedness. You are not the only person reading the Bible. Other people too are reading it. Other people too are reading it. In that your small local church, you are the champion because the, you know the Bible more than everybody in that small church. But you meet people and see. So we, I mean, the fivefold ministries, they are critical for bringing people to perfection. I went to Achimota. I was invited by the prophet. And after I finished preaching, I made the altar call. Everybody in the church came to accept Christ. Then I said they should go and sit down. Then I explained to them how to accept Christ and that I'm not talking about old Christians. I mean new Christians. When I finished explaining, I said, those who really, you have never accepted Christ before, you are not born again, come forward. The whole church, more people even came. So I led them to accept Christ. And when I finished, when we closed, I asked them, I don't understand, what's going on? And they said, oh, you see, the man is a prophet. So he sees visa, he sees, you know, he gives you a quantire and, and you know, but he has never told us that we should, Jesus died for our sins, we should accept Christ as, never. So I was the first person to preach salvation. This is what a prophetic church is. The prophet alone is not enough. 
My mother divorced my father before I was four years old. Till today, I have a lack of a mother's hand in my life. Do you understand? Because there is something which only a mother can do for you. One day I was bathing and my wife said, you don't bath that way. And I said, nobody has ever taught me how to bath. Nobody ever taught me how to bath. I just take the bucket into the bathroom and I bath. <laughs> That's all. So my friend, if you are in a church and there is no apostle, there is a part of your Christian life which can never be compensated for. In the same way, if you are in a church, there is no prophet. There is a part of your life which is gone forever. If you are in a church and there is no Bible teacher, there is a part of your life which can never be repaired. And if you are in a church and there is no evangelist, these days we ordain 20 pastors, 15 pastors, where are the other fivefold ministers? You think we don't need them, but Jesus gave them. He is not thinking. This Jesus is not thinking. So he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He said, you don't really need them. Is that what you think? And then, for this evening, the last area I want to clear my throat about is the small group discipleship. In a typical church situation, the pastor preaches, but there is no accountability and it is one size fits all. It's not tailored to meet you where you are. You need a smaller group of people who are committed to be like Christ so that together your disciple can know you one on one and be able to minister to your deepest areas. I can share this freely because it was shared on a, on video. John Musselman said he was discipling a certain gentleman. And for two years, the man was just there. He, he wasn't moving. He would do everything. He's there. So he prayed about it and invited him to a restaurant. And said, Mr., you have something to hide. And he said that the guy was holding a glass of water. His hands started shaking. And he said, let's go to the car. And when they entered the car, the man told his story and started weeping. He said when he was about nine years old, his big brother was about 11 years old. And they were just playing in the hall. They were the only two children their parents had. And as they played, he saw the grandfather's gun. 
in the corner. So he took it and said, if you joke with me, I'll shoot you right now. I'll shoot you. Then he removed the cock and pressed the trigger, not knowing that it was loaded. The gun had the bullet, everything. So Paul, the brother died on the spot. When the parents rushed in, it was too late. Now, if you tell the police, they will come for your last child, and that's all. So the father, the mother himself, kept quiet. Now the father died, the mother died, and for 50 years, he kept that secret. He killed his brother. He did not, he could not tell anybody. And you are discipling such a person. It's like hitting a rock. There are people in the church who have caused abortion. There are people in the church who have slept with the pastor. There are people in the church who are carrying loads. You see, things which nobody knows about. But they can't tell anybody because they don't trust anybody. So every Sunday, we all come to church. Everybody is carrying his load like this. And the sermon is a good sermon. It was on tights. Bible verses, everything. So a good seed and, and all. But everybody, when you close, you live with your load. Because there is nobody you can trust and tell certain things. You need friends. You need Christian friends on the road to heaven. People you can open your heart to. People you can share your deepest parts with. People who can rebuke you. People who can advise you. People who can talk to you. People you can say, Hey, this is what I've gone to do. If you like, kill me. But this is it. This is what I've gone to do. And that is what the small groups achieve, which the church as a whole cannot achieve. You need small groups. Small fellowship groups. Discipleship groups. So that together, the disciple can get to know you. And you can get to know him. You can trust him. He can trust you. He can earn the right to talk to you about certain things. Because he knows you. And when he is talking, you trust him. So you, you don't fear that he's going to mock at you or make fun of you. Because he can speak to the deepest parts of you. We need, you see, church is not changing many people. Because the way we are doing it does not help to change. Are you with me? Since I'm clearing my truth, let me finish. You see, you must know that when we get closer together, we change one another. My wife, this month, we are 40 years in marriage. And when somebody comes to me, and says, oh, I want to see mama. I say, what is it? 
Is this I want to tell Mama da, da, da. I tell you, this is what Mama will say. Because I know her like my cloth. Some people too come to her and say, Oh, want to see Pastor? And they she tell them, Hey, Pastor, this is what you will say. And it's bad. Because after 40 years of knowing one another, you begin to understand how the person thinks. If you tell me that my wife has stolen your mobile phone, I won't even listen. Because she won't do it. I know her. But if you tell me that my wife rebuked you, I won't ask her. Because, because she has rebuking anointing. Hallelujah. Please, the journey to heaven is a narrow way. It's a difficult path. You need a friend. You need a brother. You need a sister. You need people who can stand with you on the road so that when foolishness comes on you, they can say, stop. It's true. Proverbs 22, 15 says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But it's not only in the heart of children. Even King David. Do you remember when Absalom was killed? And King David was weeping. Oh, Absalom, my son! My son! I wish I had died! <laughs> so, so Joab went and said, David, David, what are you doing? You are showing by this that if all of us who have defended your wife and children, if we had died in the battle, it would be better for you than that Absalom has died. If you don't get up and go and congratulate these people, look, by evening time, there will not be any human being left here. And it will be worse than all the troubles that have come upon you. You, you love your enemies and hate those who love you. And David got up and went and sat before the soldiers started coming. You need a job in your life who can tell you things nobody will tell you. Other people will laugh when they see you doing it. But Joab can tell you. You need somebody to rebuke you. You need people who praise you. Yes, but they praise you like chewing gum. After chewing, they throw it away. But people who can tell you as it is? Speaking the truth in love. This is why the small, small discipleship groups are critical. I said I won't take one-on-one. -on -one. It's important to, to have one-on-one. -on -one. But if you take a discipleship group which is one person, the person begins to bluff you. You say, did you memorize the Bible verse? <sighs> in fact, this week was very busy for me. But when Kofi Oseu is in the class, he will type his homework. <laughs> and when he types it, you see that all the other people have to type. You see? You give homework. You have this one. I haven't done it. You have this one. I haven't done it. You have this one. He has done five times. Then you see who is lazy in the class. So never pick a discipleship group of only one person. They bluff you. You see? Take two, three, four, five. And as you do that, there is a holy competition among they themselves. And they sharpen one another as you two sharpen them. 
and they profit from one another. You know, we all have different gifts and we have people amongst us. They are not very spiritually mature, but they are gifted in some areas and they challenge the class. Let me close that session by saying you need a syllabus, a curriculum, a way of handling of discipling people that has a growth mindset. So when you go to school, you don't you don't just walk to the let's say LA primary school. Then you just walk to class five. Nobody does that. You walk to class one. You go to class two. Then class three. Class four. The church has been slow to tell us what is class one in Christianity. What is class two in Christianity? What is class three? So that when you go through it, you know you have gone through class one. So nobody graduates in the church. You are there 20 years, 30 years. But you never graduate because nobody has syllabus for spiritual growth. For disciple-making is critical. The type of curriculum you have brings the results. I never tire of telling it. You see, when I was in school, my sixth form was in Fansbeam School. And when we left sixth form, we all just scattered to the universities. One day, we were coming from Ethiopia. And then, the air hostess said, yes, we are approaching Kotoka International Airport. And uh, uh, Captain Yamwa and his team are pleased to have hosted you and uh, they wish you a good journey if you are going to stay in Ghana, wherever, la la la. Now, the name struck a bell because Yamwa was my school prefect when I was in first grade. So when the plane landed, I stopped and the captain the pilot came out and there was my school prefect, Yamwa. We were in the same school. But after school, he went to the aviation school and he learned to fly aeroplanes and he flew me. The kind of syllabus your church is using is why you are like this. Do you understand? Those of my schoolmates who went to medical school are not doctors. Those of my schoolmates who went to KNUST for architecture, they are now architects. They are engineers. Why? When they went to the university, the syllabus, the curriculum which they followed made them doctors, lawyers, pilots, engineers, you are also like this because of the syllabus your church is using. Shall we be on our feet? Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Men's books and keep up with his ministry 
at www.jfkmensonministries.org. God bless you.